you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. Listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very special guest with us, um, a friend and colleague of mine here from the Mountain Sky Conference. We have uh, the Reverend Betty Wynn, who is the multicultural and advocacy uh, ministries developer here in the Mountain Sky. Betty, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, would you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you come from, and what you do? Yeah, thanks. So um, I am Betty, like Zach said, and I'm born and raised in Michigan. My parents are immigrants from Vietnam. Um, Some of you um, may remember um, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was uh, Vietnamese refugees, uh, mostly um, called boat people. So I was part of that wave of refugees, part of that legacy, um, part of that generation. And so um, born and raised, uh, lived in the Midwest most of my life and came out here to um, Colorado um, for ministry. And part of my work, this is a new position uh, for the conference, uh, started in January of this year. I'm very grateful to be a part of um, uh, the staff and to lean into what God might be calling us to be. And part of that is um, advocacy for our non-majority uh, groups of siblings, and that could be defined in different ways, but mostly um, what we traditionally call ethnic ministries. Um, and so I um, hope to be able to learn from and support in ways that I can at a conference level. And then also especially um, support churches that are considered cross-cultural, cross-racial congregations, and how to support um, the church, but also the clergy, um, especially during the beginning of a new appointment, how to um, lean into a new uh, chapter in a congregation's life. We know that uh, those appointments can be very life-giving, but because of the different culture and ethnicity or race that's in the mix, sometimes um, we can learn and grow together. And so I'm there as a partner in that journey. That's wonderful. That's big, big work Um, uh, in in any conference and in any church, but especially what what seems to be out here in the mountain sky where we're a predominantly white um, middle class uh, congregations and churches. And um, I, 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 I can't speak from experience um, being, being a white guy, but I can, uh, I can tell you, I've heard from our colleagues, the need and the desire and the hope in the work that you're doing and embarking on, that it's it's huge. It makes the difference. Yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I think the other piece too, Zach, is um, our conference specifically is um, ge- geographically is so diverse. So when I think about cross-cultural, cross-racial, of course there's an element of race. And culturally, we're just so diverse within our, our, our geography. And so knowing that um, how we can recognize our diversity and live into that and celebrate. Um, And um, I am Denver-centric, and so I know that I have a lot to learn, but um, yeah, I'm grateful to be able to serve. Mm -hmm. And and that is an important conversation. That's in the role ministry circles that I I run in. Uh, We have that conversation about how 
you know, from the corners of Montana down to the, the southeast and southwest west corners of Colorado, even the rural ministry cultures mm-hmm. are night and day different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think um, something that um, I'm learning and new for our conference is, um, you know, during the pandemic, but then um, especially since the death of Mr. George Floyd has really um, challenged us as individuals, I think, and then of course as a nation, but specifically as United Methodists in our setting, um, what it means to live into our baptismal vows, to um, what it means to be anti-racist. And so this has now become part of our work. Um, And I am, I'm grateful that we're embarking on this work more intentionally um, and we can talk about the pilgrimage in a little bit, but but then I'm also, um, I guess, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but perhaps it was back burner. Uh, we always knew that we're not fully anti-racist, but it wasn't on the front of our uh, minds, I think. Um, and so now, um, now we are, we're having to face um, the work that we really have to do. And um, so I hope that we can not only lean to it now, but then keep it at the forefront. Because I really believe anti-racism work is not just a um, a one and done. It's not uh, it's not a short period of time, but it's an ongoing journey. Um, yeah. And so, what does it mean for us as United Methodists, as Christians, as people within a community? Um, what, what does that look like? And then also recognizing that, again, our geography is so wide and, and diverse. How do we um, recognize that uniqueness and, and then also bring this work into the various different areas within our community and our conference? Yeah. Well, and like, like Jack said, um, being at such a great distance of like the just the I just think of like the geographic area that you have alone um, the challenges that can occur even like um, I mean and and those areas tend to have um, a great deal of of migrants whether it be um, um, you know I I think of like the Native American communities that get lost in translation um, and lost in conversation in regards to the Methodist church and um, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we think about some of the issues that we have here in Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oklahoma has, a, I mean, we have the Oklahoma Indian Missionary Conference. And yet, mm-hmm. like, the two conferences really, I mean, we may share a bishop, but we don't share any space together and working together. Um, and and there's several of us, like myself, who are hoping to bridge that gap, like bridge mm-hmm. those conversations and see, like, where those things can occur. Like, how can we um, fix those, you know, like, kind of heal some of those wounds that may be there especially like in like you talk about the native american community especially like i mean y'all like your conference has a like really bad issue like yeah all of them do like i mean i'm sure if we deep yeah. down we could find all of them but like yours has definitely a, like a specific one yeah um and yeah. and i think that that's always um unless people know that history you know it does get lost in translation um and, and conversation and so like like having someone like you that can help direct and guide um, those conversations, I think, is very helpful and fruitful for those smaller congregations who wouldn't have ever thought about it otherwise, not even realizing that, like, thinking about that they could minister with 
mm-hmm. um, the reservation up the street who may be suffering from whatever it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's great to have a position like that. And so like, what's kind of something you hope to draw out of this with what you're getting to do? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'll respond in three things. You know, one, um, I know we've been kind of um, pointing to the pilgrimage to the land of love. So I'll just share real quickly what that's about. Um, so our conference um, is initiating a pilgrimage, starting, um, begin, embarking on this journey this Sunday, and it'll go through the, um, towards the end of November. And so my hope out of this pilgrimage is um, daily engagement with the vast resources, which I try to curate with the wisdom of others, um, so that we're engaged in different voices and education, and then also tapping in and, and, and into our own reactions. I think anti-racism work really needs to begin internally and building a capacity for compassion. I think that's so important because I know we want to go to action. We want to make a difference, but our souls will be drained if we don't tend to that first and to stretch those muscles of compassion um, so that we have the capacity to do that for the long term. So long story short, the pilgrimage is daily engagement, starting out with very simple steps, listening to music and poetry and ending with um, thinking about it, um, implicit bias, microaggressions. And that. So all that to say, if anybody's interested, anyone is welcome to participate in that pilgrimage. But to, to answer too, Matt, I think there's um, a couple, a few things that come to mind is um, that connection that you're talking about, that building bridges. I think that one of the white dominant um, value that I see and I know I'm a part of is that we have so much to, to do. And busyness is kind of part of our DNA as white dominant culture. And some of this work, I think, requires us to slow down and carve out space to build that bridge, and it's gonna be slow. And so I think that's part of my task is to hopefully create some of that space um, because we, we are so busy and we've, we have front burner things, right, all the time. And so I hope that through my, my role, but then also as a colleague, a person within community is to create that space. Um, and I'm learning, I am a Pollyanna people pleaser kind of person. Um, and so sometimes, uh, you know, uh, for better or worse, right? But I have always lived with this mantra of creating safe space. But lately I've been learning that safe space is not enough, it's a brave space. And I think, um, how do we create space where people can come and listen deeply and then to also speak boldly? And I think that's hard and, and carving out time and space to, to create that is part of the work. Um, I've learned a new term um, that has been very helpful. I know for me as a person of color um, and an introvert, the term is make space take space. And so how do we learn and live into that? And build, I think building bridges require all of those resources in our toolbox. Um, the other thing is, um, I don't know why I wrote this down, but as I was listening to you, Matt, um, about um, the diversity of our community is, is that um, sometimes the people are there, but we haven't been able to see the people. And so like Matt, you said, you know, you talk about specifically our Native American brothers and sisters, right? Um, I know in our conference here in the Mount Sky area, 
we have Native American siblings, Hispanic Latino siblings who, who are in our communities, but we can't see, or we have not seen or have failed to see or whatever the case is. And so even in very predominantly white spaces, um, the work still needs to be done um, and maybe there are people in our midst that we have not seen. And so how do we kind of create um, an opportunity for us to take away that myth, right? Of like, oh, we're just an all white community. It doesn't impact us and take that myth away. And so we can really see what's going on. Um, but those are the few things that kind of came up for me. I don't know if, if it answered any <laughs> questions or <laughs> thoughts that you had, but. No, I, I was thinking, I think it did good because you even brought up a point of like not being aware of people who are in our own backyard. And like one of the things that I share with our, like with people that I talk to is that like, I'm in, so I'm in the heart of the Cherokee Nation. Like literally mm -hmm. we are in the capital of the Cherokee Nation here in Tahlequah. But we have a growing Hispanic population and, and like 25% are in the schools right now. Mm -hmm. And so like when I say that, people are like, oh wow, like, because I've, I've, I've been talking about like maybe create or building some bridges to the Hispanic community that have a space for them because uh, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily prevalent in the community. And like people are like, we didn't realize there were that many in the schools. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, and that's where like getting to know like some of those demographic things that we look at that are important, mm -hmm. but just like, even just like looking out in the community and like realizing mm -hmm. that like, it's not what we think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's, um, that kind of work sometimes gets put, like, I like how you said this on the back burner and it's not on the forefront because mm -hmm. like, there's so many things in the forefront, but like, and, and like you said, with the death of George Floyd, a lot of this kind of got brought up to the forefront. You had that on top of the COVID on top of everything else that's happened. And it's like, how do we deal with this? And that's where we need people like you who can help like drive this conversation or like, you know, if I were in your annual conference, I'd probably be calling you and say, Hey Betty, I would love for you to help us with this. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, I think. Call time. We're yeah. connectional. Yeah. Well, I know. I know, but, but yeah. you're appointed and located not in my annual <laughs> conference. And I would hate to like um, get, get us in trouble saying, you know, She's got to work for us. Like I, I know how that I know how those contests work, um, but I, and I think we just hired somebody to do this similar. Mm -hmm. work. I, I hope we just. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember. I'm. It's been hard for me to keep track of who's being hired. Sure. In the conference. Yeah. I know there's yeah. some heart for that in our annual conference yeah. as well. But yeah. like, it's great that your annual conference has this has like taken this up to be done. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I've been I've been keeping up with that that uh, pilgrimage. It sounds really interesting, and would mm -hmm. encourage people. Uh, we'll have a link to that in our website uh, sure. for people to connect into to to tech, check it out, and would mm -hmm. strongly encourage people to do it because I think it's going to be a good thing. And and no, you don't have to check your annual conference at the door. You can you know you can come <laughs> mm -hmm. in from other annual conferences. Sure. From what I understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say you know another thing about the pilgrimage too is that. Um, for people who've been thinking about anti-racism work or have been doing it, may feel like, oh, this is, I'm beyond this, right? And there's some people who are coming into this kind of like, oh, kind of scary, this is their first step. So I think the point of the pilgrimage is that regardless of where we're at, that we're kind of doing this together and that we can learn from one another. And for those of us who've been doing this work to remember that um, there's always continued learning. Like for me, I can, engage in the same documents, the same tools, the same resources, hear the same voices. But every time I listen to it again, read it again, um, something new kind of comes up, you know, and so I just wanted to say that because I know that there is that tension that we need to live in, like internal work and that external, you know, work, and they both are important. So. 
um, engage in. And I really um, wanted to mention, I appreciate what you say, Matt. It made me think of two things. One is that own backyard, um, and then also connected to the wider connection. You know, like I think when we think about anti-racism context, but then also we're so connected. Like I think about this all the time about when I eat, and I love eating and I love cooking, so I think about it all the time, is that, you know, um, a migrant worker most likely picked the tomatoes I ate or the, you know, helped prepare the steak that I consumed and and not take that for granted that, you know, there are people who are usually on the margins making all these things possible. And so just that also, you know, focus into the local community, but then we're so connected. So even though we might be in a predominantly white community, we're still connected with diverse groups of people um, through our daily needs and interactions. Yeah, whether it's evident or, or not, yeah. Right, and, and I think that's one thing that's so important for us to remember, because um, a lot of the communities that, well, every community can claim some sort of isolation, right? That, mm -hmm. that we're here and everybody else is out here, regardless of the size of whether you're in Denver or rural Montana or Oklahoma, mm -hmm. wherever, right? We, we claim some kind of isolation, especially when larger, um, larger events take place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you talk about the anti-racism work, I can't tell you how many places I've lived in this country and I've gone and, and people say, we, we, we did that. We, mm -hmm. we beat that. We're not racist here. We're not, we don't have to do that work anymore. All, all the things that are happening are over there. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I think that's where the anti-racism work begins is acknowledging, oh no, we still have things here but we're also connected to that thing mm -hmm. over there. We're mm -hmm. still connected to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. We're connected to uh, migrant workers. We're connected to all of these things. We may not see it right here or the event may, may not have happened right here, but mm -hmm. we are connected. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that is super important to remember when we create that brief state, space is creating that space for us to name that of, oh, we still have that embedded racism. We still have that embedded thing here. There's nothing to win. We have not won. We have not ended racism. It's still prevalent in our community, in our country, in our society, in the world. And working towards, I, I have appreciated very much the language of anti-racism work especially here recently of, oh no, there's still a lot more to be done and we are so connected with what's going on um, beyond what we see mm -hmm. and what we feel. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that I, um, I think I mentioned uh, earlier to Matt that I'm not the most creative person, but I, but recently um, someone had challenged me to tap into my imagination um, and I think that there's a holy practice in that, in that sometimes we're stuck in our spaces and we don't, can't imagine what God is calling us into. And so when we think about God's kingdom, the love of community, what holy imagination can come up in our midst because we're kind of stuck, you know? And, and so when we have conversations like, you know, Zach, you mentioned, oh, we've already done that, or isn't it better than it was? You know, sure, but does it mean that there's no more work to do, right? And so we cannot get stuck. And how do we um, 
continue to engage and, and live into that, that new place, you know, that, that God is calling us. And, you know, I'll, I'll mention some of um, folks have seen Jasper, uh, Reverend Jasper Peter mentioned that there is not reconciliation because it wasn't reconciled in the first place, but we're building something new that God is calling us. And so um, how do we create capacity to, to, to have that imagination um, so that we're not stuck? And then, you know, kind of front burner, back burner thing, I, I want to uh, confess that, you know, this is my work, so I think about it all the time. I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, consumes me. Um, and I feel like I still have so much more to learn. And, and so I'm always like, you know, telling colleagues, let's get on this bandwagon, you know, how can I help you? And, and then recently I read an article, and I, I apologize, I don't remember, but it was kind of passed around on Facebook and clergy circles about the stress of a clergy person at this time, you know, like COVID, mask, no mask, this is too political, that's not political enough. And, and then it made me realize, oh my gosh, okay, Betty, you know, am I, am I contributing to like kind of the stress, right? And so it made me, reminded me that we have to do this together, right? And so, yes, there's responsibility as a spiritual leader to, to guide and to lead and to be prophetic, but you don't have to do it alone um, that we we can do this together um, because it is it's uh it's it's important but it's a uh, um it's a lot right and so we can't do it in isolation yeah so those are some of the things i've kind of been thinking as we we're sharing here yeah, yeah and, and that's been a conversation <laughs> i've had lately um in my congregation because like there's a lot that when i have that conversation like like i don't i don't have the energy I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling enough to, you know, do this new style of worship and like maintaining that and on top of all the like new things that we're having to do. And, um, and I want to have those conversations, but man, I don't have, I don't have the energy. Um, uh, and, and so like, I've been asking people like, Hey, if you want to have this conversation, like I will resource you to help have it. Mm -hmm. I can't like, I can be there but I can't be the one driving the conversation right now. Um, and, and, and that's led to some really good on, honest conversation about utilizing other resources that are available. And so I've been a real big proponent of pushing those resources on and like saying, Hey, look at these resources. If you have questions, I'll be glad to, to help you or direct you or guide you. Um, but in order for like, like I can't have that conversation right now, but I'm willing to, it's just, I don't have the energy and re like you, like you lifted up, like, man, it's, it's hard to like try to schedule that one in um, and like I want to, but it's finding space. And so like when a conference offers something like what you all are doing with the pilgrimage, like, man, like go, please, like that would be a great space for you, for people that are interested in this to be connected to it. And um, you know, like then if you finish that and you want to talk, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, you know, that, you know, that those possibilities within our own denomination or so huge. You look at what the general church and society is doing right now with their 30 days of anti-racism campaign that they've got going. And like, man, you want to talk about an easy way to help, you know, have that conversation uh, without like having to, you know, try to get people to tune into a zoom meeting or whatever, however else you all do it. Um, you know, like it's not a bad way to do it. And so like, you know, the, being able to be resourced. And I think that that's been a lot of the problem is having good, healthy resources to, to help have the conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's important. When we first started the pilgrimage, um, we didn't think about, um, consider at that point, um, 
um, a debrief time. Um, but then as we continue to do this and with the wisdom of, you know, others, like, no, we really need to have space for conversation. And I think, you know, literally resources on the tip of our finger, you know, at the, what is the term, <laughs> tip of our fingers, right? And, and we can Google, we can read and look, um, but um, having resources that, uh, that um, is looked through or curated, but then also have space to discuss and process um, is, is helpful. So yeah, and, and I have to be honest, you know, I Denver centric, I mentioned that earlier, and as I'm listening to our colleagues and hearing the struggles, because I, you know, um, a colleague said, Betty, now that you're in, in the staff, maybe you have forgotten, but it's exhausting, you know, coming up with a sermon every week in the midst of pandemic, how to put together, you know, a worship, all these things, and then being challenged by the congregation, you know, from so many different ways, and it really humbled me, you know, like, wow, there is so much. <laughs> In this time and space and how can we do this together so um, clearly you know um, we need to to do that and and I would say that that um, is part of our you know dominant culture is like we got to fix it we got to do it we got to need it you know and how can we just you know trust in one another to to, to lean in into each other's mm -hmm. gifts and graces um, yeah and and support one another and I think that's something that we forget, not only as pastors and, and leaders, but uh, as lay people in our congregations, is that we don't have to do it all ourselves. Uh, that especially if you just take a look at the Methodist Church, we're connectional and we're in this together. Um, and we've done a poor job over the last however many years of actually being connectional. Mm -hmm. and doing this together. And so we get in that rut of the individualistic, I'm going to leave my churches and preach my sermons and go on. Mm -hmm. And when an opportunity like this comes together that to truly be connectional mm -hmm. and where I can go as a pastor with, with my congregation members or the conference or everybody that's showing up to this and just be present and be present in the work with each other um, mm -hmm. is almost exhausting to think about because you're like, oh, well, I, I don't have time for that. I can't do that. I'm not leading it, you know, but then yeah. you go, oh, we're not in this, we're in this together. And so we're doing the work, you know, the work isn't as much and as overwhelming as it seems to be, whether that's inside a pilgrimage or doing anti-racism work or creating space. When we, when we branch out and remember that we have people, that we uh, are together and don't have to do everything our, on our own, um, it not only makes the work more meaningful, uh, but it makes the time together uh, so much more impactful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we forget um, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. as people all together that we don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another piece to that too is um, kind of goes back to give space, take space, or make space, take space is uh, the practice of the church to lead but also be humble to follow the leadership of others. And I'm not saying about the pilgrimage, just in general, if a community wants to engage in anti-racism work, are there community leaders already in organizations where we can learn from? Um, we have as Christians, a you know, strong and many times very powerful witness of leading, right? Like in our Methodist tradition of hospitals and schools and all these things, um, and that is celebrated, but then at the same time, um, sometimes that leads into taking so much space that we have not followed the leadership of others. And so that can apply to organizations, but especially marginalized people, right? Like 
how can we be followers, you know, and, and truly um, follow the lead of those who are directly impact, whatever, you know, if we're talking about immigration, <laughs> racism, you know, anything, um, are we willing to follow the leadership of those who are, um, quite frankly, you know, I want to follow the leadership of people who know more, more experience or are directly impacted in ways that are different from me. And also just realizing that, gosh, sometimes we don't have all the answers. And so can we learn from, you know, and yeah. Sure. Well, and, and how do we not recreate the wheel, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think we see that so much in the church with uh, with poverty ministries, food pantries, clothing pantries, things like that. We see the need as a church and a community and jump on it to, to try to meet the need rather than looking around going, who's already doing the work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how can we support and follow with mm -hmm. them in this work? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just wear ourselves out and um, make our resources thin and our energy thin yeah. all because we didn't reach out and say, Hey, you're already doing this. How do we help? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like the important work that we need. Like, I think with local churches and clergy need to like, like there are people doing amazing things out there and, and a lot of them would be willing to work with you. Um, all you have to do is ask. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's like where your position comes into is getting yourself out there for, um, your annual conference to know what's going on and what's available and what can be available and uh, what is out there. Cause like, I know as someone who served in a small church out, you know, and uh, on the boons of Oklahoma, uh, you know, connecting into those conference resources were so key. And I, and I understood they exist. Whereas a lot of our um, local pastors or even our churches don't even know that these things exist. Mm -hmm. um, and having that space to say like, look, you know, like, you know, these things are available for you to connect into. I think that that's important, um, just recognition for on your part. And, you know, hopefully that there are churches in your annual conference listening to this that can tap in uh, to what you're doing um, and, and make it a, a, make it a thing and, and that they don't have to have, um, that there are, I mean, we've shared this a number of times, that there are resources available for them to follow and they don't have to mm -hmm. recreate the rules we've said a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, you feel like there's anything else you you want to share with us as we're uh, going through this? Um, for me, you mean? Uh, yeah, just whatever. I mean, just in general. Um, I, I'll just say that um, when it comes to anti-racism work, I just want to emphasize the power of white siblings talking to white siblings. As I've been um, in contact and conversation with clergy and laity and um, people in different um, spaces, uh, there is a desire to hear from our siblings of color, right, our BIPOC siblings, and there is power in that, and we definitely need to create space for that. Um, but I also um, am recognizing that sometimes our white siblings do not recognize the power of speaking with other white siblings to encourage to do the work. So it is a little different, right, so conversations with our BIPOC siblings to learn and to um, follow their leadership, all these important things, but that white siblings talking with other white siblings about what they've learned, engaging them to do this work too, is very powerful. I've been very moved um, as I've been in conversation, especially with older white um, siblings who have said, well, I can't be at a, at a protest. I can't be out there. Um, I'm, I, I, what can I do now, you know, and, and I can read, I can do all these things, but what else can I do? And I said, 
you know, your voice talking to a friend, a family member about sharing what you've learned is probably one of the most effective and meaningful and can be so transformative. So I just wanted to say that as, um, as an encouragement and a, and a call to action. Cause, and I know it's not always easy um, because these are difficult things. And when you're talking with people you love and you care, who especially don't agree with you, it can be very risky, um, but, um, but know that there is an opportunity there and how important that is. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate, because I've been on that end of the conversation with you, of that, yeah, I don't, what do I have to say here? I, I don't know that my voice is needed and your encouragement and affirmation of, no, speak up. We all need to speak up and create and take that space uh, in the appropriate manners is so, so important. Because I, I get in my head about that as, as bad as anybody else of, I can't talk about this. Uh, not because I don't want to, but do I have a voice in it? Being, mm -hmm. being a white guy. Um, and and your, your encouragement to say, yeah, uh, talk to your people, uh, be in your people's ear, um, be, be that voice for them when they won't listen to anybody else or don't have anybody else to listen to is so, so important. And then remembering to make that space when and know when my voice isn't needed. Right. Um, I think is, is kind of, kind of the way I've, I've come to learn how to approach it. Of mm -hmm. Remembering when, when is when. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a kind of a, or go ahead and Betty, unless you have something else to add. No, no. I, mean, I think that's kind of a good place to, to land, uh, mm -hmm. land our plane today. Um, <laughs> Cause we can definitely go in circles on this <laughs> for hours. Um, you know, and, and I've enjoyed the conversation today. It's made me think about a few things on how to, you know, not only in my annual conference, but how can we tap into other annual conferences that might be doing even better work or actually work um, in regards to, to these issues. Um, and so um, we'll have a website from Betty uh, to um, share with you about the pilgrimage and then maybe other things like, you know, and just get that to Zach and we'll be glad to share it uh, through um, our uh, website. Um, you know, Betty, we, we thank you for your time. And so thank you um, for the Bearded Theologians. I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. First guys, I want you to subscribe and like this video. And put that thumbs, push that thumbs up. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.